Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the WLG Discussion Lab podcast, a platform initiated by Whaling Gallery, where we share insights and hold conversations surrounding contemporary art. Hi everyone, today I'm here with Dr. Heather Dewey Hackbork, an artist and biohacker who is interested in art as research and technological critic. As an artist, Heather has shown work internationally, including at the World Economic Forum, the Daejeon Biennale, the Guangzhou Triennial, the Walker Center for Contemporary Art, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and PS1 MoMA. Her work is also held in prestigious public collections around the world. In 2018, we had the privilege to show her controversial biopolitical art project called Stranger Visions, in which she created portrait sculptures from analyses of genetic material such as hair, cigarette butts, chewed up gum, collected in public spaces. This year, she presented a two-channel video work called How Do You See Me? as part of our recent exhibition Aesthetics of Silence at Wailing Contemporary. The work tackles on the issues of facial detection and recognition, technologies that are present in our daily lives but of which we know so little about. Without realizing it, these technologies are present in devices such as surveillance cameras, our mobile phones, our computer webcams. So we actually encounter them every day in our lives. I'm sure that all of you are curious about how Dr. Heather discusses this issue through her work. Ladies and gentlemen, Let's welcome Dr. Heather. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good, how are you? Let's start with the first question. So Dr. Heather, can you explain the concept behind the work, How Do You See Me? What do you hope to challenge through this work? Sure, absolutely, yeah. So the work that's on exhibition is How Do You See Me? And it is a two-channel video that were experiments where I generate images that are recognized either as faces or as my face by algorithms underpinning facial recognition systems. Um, But they are really unusual and don't really look like what we would consider faces to look like. So they're kind of generated in a way that pushes the limits of how we think of what could be recognized as a face. And it's meant to be a way of really thinking about, well, how are these systems structured? We're surrounded by cameras all the time. We're constantly looking and looking into and being looked at by cameras and by recognition systems, but we don't really know how they see us. You know, we don't know what the internal representation looks like for these systems. And so it's a way of kind of getting at that through kind of semi-adversarial processes Um, these kind of creative processes that allow us to see some of the strangeness in how we are seen and also some of the biases of that. Um, So I went into this project with just this idea of seeing, well, what might be recognized as me or what might be recognized as a face? How different could it be from what I recognize or see as a face? And so I started with this process of generating different images, kind of breeding images uh, in an an algorithmic evolutionary process and seeing what would come out and how close I could get to something that's really detected as a face, for example. And one of the things that I found very early on is that it was not that hard 
to generate images that could be detected as a face by, uh, by a facial detection algorithm, um, but that they tended to always evolve to become this white oval. And this is a topic that has been discussed a lot in kind of critiques of surveillance and in particular facial recognition technology, that it has this kind of bias towards white faces. And I didn't expect to necessarily find that in my research, but that kind of just was the first thing that jumped out of the process was just that it kept evolving again and again and again, these white ovals as the kind of uh, image of what faceness is. And so that was a that was a very interesting result from the research process. So it's kind of getting at something that we've seen so often um, that people have reported experiencing on the side of the user, on the side of the, the person who's being looked at, that they're not recognized, that the system fails. And this is a kind of image of what that might look like, a bit how it might be internally structured for the recognition system itself. Thank you so much, Dr. Heather, for introducing us to your work and what an interesting concept and how apt it is to actually discuss about this subject in our current times where we can't really escape from technology. The second thing I'd like to ask is regarding the process of making the work itself. The installation consists of two videos played sequentially projected on the wall and each video has its own pattern. So could you elaborate the different methods used to achieve these two different videos. In terms of how the installation uh, visually is represented, there are kind of a couple different video components that make up the piece. So one thing that we watch is this actual evolutionary process. So there's a kind of enormous grid that fills the large screen and we can see images evolving over time. So we can see the algorithm that I wrote generating pictures, generating these uh, images that attempt to be detected as a face, for example. And then over time, they begin to converge on things that come closer to this so-called essence of faceness. And we see then a green rectangle pop up that is the, the recognition, the detection of a face in the image from the, from the facial detection algorithm. So we see this evolutionary process and that is um, interwoven with another video where we see individual images that are detected as a face large scale kind of blown up so we can see them really in detail as well. And then the second video, the second channel is facial recognition. And so this is even stranger in a way because this is kind of taking the detection part out of the out of this out of the sequence. So normally in a facial recognition system you have facial detection and then recognition of what is detected as a face. But I pulled just the recognition part out of that in isolation and started generating these these kind of strange images and seeing what comes closest to how my face is actually represented within the system. And you, you see these really strange pictures that are kind of um, like weird gradients and, um, and, and kind of circular radiating patterns. And it goes through the same process. So you see the evolutionary process unfolding on the screen in this massive grid, you see with a circle, blue circle, you can see which are the pictures that are recognized as me, where the, the image has a representational vector that is close to my own. And then we see also um, in close up, some of these images blown up large. Okay, now that we know that this technology is omnipresent, 
Let's look at the pros and cons of facial recognition. What do you think are the benefits of facial recognition to our society, and to what extent do you think they will become dangerous? In general, with technologies, very often there are pros and cons. There are、um, things that we gain some kind of benefit from, but at a price. With facial recognition, actually, I don't see much of a pro. So I do think that it is a technology that is deeply flawed, that is based on、um, premises that are structurally problematic, because it's it it is fundamentally about about characterizing humans, about abstracting something from us, and about Kind of breaking us into constituent parts, and I think that there's something kind of philosophically that's that's deeply problematic there. There is a question of there, so in in many places、uh, around the world there have been raised this question of kind of having whether there should be a ban on facial recognition because it has been shown to be flawed, but also because it has been shown to be biased. And the point is that these biases are baked in at a very, very deep level. So this is what we see coming out of the work "How Do You See Me," for example, that there is on the most low kind of structural level a bias there, a a, a kind of discriminatory、um, bias that's based on how someone looks and based, for example, on the color of your skin. And this is not something. That can just be fixed through regulation. This is something that is really structural to the gaze of this particular technology. So until the technology is kind of ripped apart and and rethought from the ground up, probably from the ground up by a much more diverse group of engineers than those who are involved in creating these tools in the first place. Until that happens, I think it's just fundamentally flawed. And I think that we should push back against it, not just in being used in public spaces, but I think we should really push back against it on the personal level as well, in terms of looking at how these how these、um, technologies are featured in our everyday lives, in our phones, for example. I think we need to push back on these personal uses of facial recognition because they contain this structural violence, this philosophical. There's a philosophical level at which they are also problematic. And so it isn't just about how it gets used by government, although that is, of course, the most、uh, troubling, and and causes the potential for the most real harm. But there's this there's this deeper kind of theoretical and philosophical level that I think is also important, which is that we we don't accept it. We don't say, okay, we're going to take this biased technology because it lets me focus on someone's face in a photograph more easily if they meet certain criteria. But we say no. We we don't accept that. We don't want these tools in our lives at all. So that would be like a total ban on facial recognition, at least until it's completely rethought, really from the ground up. So this is what I would advocate for. In that case, Dr. Heather, in a digitalized world such as the one that we are living in right now, how do you think we could exercise control over our own privacy and identity? I mean, how do we avoid handing these intelligences the full authority over ourselves?
It's really a good question. And this is always, this, for me, this is an always recurring question about so many different technologies, like how do we take agency? And I think with facial recognition, it's really hard. We've seen a lot of progress there. So just over the last few years, we've seen a real growth in pushback against this technology, a real growth of these kind of um, bans on facial recognition technology. And again, I would say they're not full bans, right? They're, they're bans within, let's say, the, the, the scope of government use of those tools or school uses of those tools. And that's a great starting point. So I think there's a lot of momentum and pushback against letting facial recognition kind of permeate into our everyday lives. That's a really important starting point. But I think the conversation needs to be deeper. You know, we need to also talk about kind of the theoretical level here and not be seduced by the attractiveness of having these tools in our phones, for example, and the kind of ease of use that comes with that. And then we just kind of brush over the deeper structural problems. It's very hard to push back against that because actually, what are you going to do? I mean, it means basically you have to have a not very fun a functional phone <laughs> in order to actually boycott that. So it is something I would, I would say it's hard to demand that of anyone, but at least as a starting point that we recognize it, that we talk about it, that we can express, actually, we don't want this, that we push back against um, companies like Apple and say, give us a way to turn this off. I think that's at least, that's kind of the minimum that we can demand is that we can be allowed to take agency over that and, and turn these kinds of technologies off in addition to the, the level of advocating on the legislative, on the government level to have bans against using these tools on the cameras that have already blanketed uh, most of our cities. Yeah, I could imagine that it, it wouldn't be easy to, to really do that, <laughs> <laughs> to filter our use of, um, of technology and certain devices, certain apps, that wouldn't be easy. <laughs> no, absolutely, I agree. I experienced that um, over the summer, you know, my father has an old phone and, you know, he could never open a menu at a restaurant. I mean, that's like a small inconvenience, but it is one of these things that has become so pervasive now that as part of COVID restrictions, we just expect everyone has a phone that can, you know, activate a QR code and, and has a good enough uh, web connection and has data and all of this to load the menu on their phone. I mean, that is really a lot to expect, I think, from, from customers. I really realize, you know, depending on where you're sitting in the world, you may or may not feel enabled or have the agency to make that critique. Um, you may face really harsh consequences if you critique. Thank you, Dr. Heather, for the elaborative explanation. Hopefully, through this conversation about how do you see me, all of us here could rethink and reflect deeper on our own uses of technology. Though we might not find the answer now to how we could stop technology from taking over our lives completely, it is important for us to realize what Dr. Heather mentioned as our privilege to criticize and make choices in order to protect ourselves and the society. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Heather Dewey Hadwork. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. No, Heather. no, I appreciate a very nice conversation. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to our podcast. On our next episodes, we will be sharing more topics related to art and collecting. So be sure to follow us to find out more. See you!